Hey everybody, it's Brock Falk, and I want to thank you for listening to this message from Heritage Church of Christ. We would be thrilled to share more content like this with you and make it easy for you to share it with others. You can find more messages like this on our podcast, or you can download our smartphone app by searching for Heritage Church of Christ in your app store. But most importantly, I hope this message encourages you to take a next step toward a thriving relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. And lows of the Christian faith and has felt Jesus walking with him through that journey. Jerry uh, serves as the preaching minister at the Campus View Church of Christ in Athens, Georgia. And if you're a TCU fan, um, you may recognize what I mean by Campus View. He may mention that. I don't know. But I've been wanting you to hear Jerry share the Word of God for a long time. And I'm excited that today is the day. So Jerry, let me pray over you. And then would you share with us Father, thank you so much for my friend Jerry and for the gift that he is to me and to the kingdom because of the talents and the skills that you have embedded in him, because of the story that you have written in his life. Father, may that story be a blessing to us today as he shares a message to help us keep our focus on Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brock. It is good to be with you. Uh, I'm from, our church is really sort of a small, uh, it feels like a rural church, even though it's in Athens, Georgia, but uh, just to see all the guys, we have one computer screen and one person that works AV, so, and you have such a beautiful building, I, I kind of feel like that black Labrador that wandered into the library and is just looking at all the books on the shelves, That's, it's just, I'm just kind of amazed, but anyway, what, what you guys do is so important, the praise team, it's just, it's really wonderful to be here with you. Um, I love this this guy Brock. Um, he's kind of for our group. We have a group of of twelve guys that get together once a week for a year and then stay in contact throughout the year. And we're about to start on that week. We'll fly out to San Diego tomorrow and be together. But Brock is really kind of the rock of our group. In fact, I'm supposed to be kind of be the pastoral guy taking care of the group. Brock is the guy that takes care of me. And I, I wish I could tell you too how I, I wish you could overhear his love for this church, and his love for all of you. So you hold on to him and love him well and encourage him. It's kind of a tough season to be a minister here, and you have one of the very, very best. So hold on to him. So grateful for him. I want to talk um, a little bit out of First Peter. That is a letter that, of a good friend of Jesus, Peter, that, that was one of Jesus' disciples and walked with him uh, in his earthly ministry. So we're going to look at there. So if you have a Bible or if you use your phone or whatever, we're going to be in, in First Peter this morning. We're going to talk about the cross some to sort of sync up with what Brock is doing with you. We want to talk about how the cross enables a life to really thrive, even in adversity, in difficult times. How many of you have challenges right now in your life? or you would like to have a challenge in your life. I don't know how many of you have adversity right now you're dealing with. We're gonna kind of take a look at that. And living a life that even in the face of challenges and adversities invites curiosity. Uh, life can be a challenge, it can be difficult. And at times we visit um, evil, we visit uh, difficulty in our life. I was listening to one of Brock's sermons a few weeks ago, and he was talking about growing up, going to church camp. How many of you have, like, been part of a church camp experience? 
maybe, maybe not all of us, but I was one of those guys. I mean, I grew up as a camp rat because my mom was a cook. I started going at five years old and ended up being a, a counselor. And then as a minister, I've been a, a part of a vibrant church camp experience for every summer. And when I was at a, a congregation in Jackson, Mississippi, we actually rented out a church camp, did the whole thing ourselves. And one, one of the things we were most proud about is we had never had to send a kid home from church camp. That had never happened. We were able to keep everything together. But we did have this one kid named Jack who was always a challenge in terms of his behavior. And I remember one, one summer, it, would, it just took everything we had to keep him in camp and not have to call his parents to come pick him up because he was just such a difficult kid at that age. The next year, we were on Sunday, the first day of church camp, and this fight broke out. And Jack, who was in sixth or seventh grade, was in the middle of it. And he ended up being the cause of it. And I'll never forget the conversation I had with Jack. It, he ended up being the first kid we had to send home after only three hours that week at camp. And I sat down with Jack and I sat down with the other boys that were involved and I got everybody's story. And when I asked Jack what happened, he said, the fight started when Alan hit me back. Never forget that quote. And so, you know, you're trying to install these lessons in your own kids and the kids, you don't have to fight back. So I, I wanna do just a simple move in, in the book of First Peter. I wanna talk about the context which is a difficult and challenging context where people are sort of hitting at believers, at followers of Jesus. I wanna talk about the response that Peter calls for us. I wanna talk about the motivation and then the fruit and the opportunity of what can happen this morning. First Peter 3, 9, we read, don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse. So Peter's writing to a group of churches that were in what we know, now know as modern day Turkey and they were really facing a lot of difficulty and challenge. They were expect, uh, experiencing a lot of rejection because they were people of Jesus. Uh, a lot of verbal abuse, they were ostracized. In fact, to, to be a worshiper of Jesus meant that you weren't a worshiper of all the pagan gods or of Caesar. You didn't attend all the festivities at the temple. You didn't attend all the civic celebrations. In fact, one of the early accusations about Jesus' believers were that they were atheists. They didn't believe in all the civic, they were unpatriotic. They didn't support the civic gods. Uh, everything occurred at the pagan temples in those cities. If you were throwing a birthday party for grandmother, you would rent out a dining room at a pagan temple and then go and have the birthday party there and do it in honor of some civic god. And so Christians had begun to withdraw from all of that because of their loyalty to Jesus as Lord. And they looked at people as people that weren't lovers of their city, that weren't participants in the life of that. They were disdained. They were seen as unpatriotic. And so they experienced a lot of slander and hostility. Uh, their businesses could be boycotted. We have letters and instances of this happening. Now, Peter gives us some glimpse into the nature of the kind of suffering that was going on. And I've got a, a slide here, I think, with just so you can see some of this. Uh, Live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong. A 2.15, it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. 3.16, that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ might be ashamed of their slander. 
4-4, they are surprised that you don't join them in their recklessness, their wild living, and they heap abuse on you. And in 4.14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Something you can see in common is that the nature of the suffering that they're experiencing is verbal abuse. It's slander. You know, people are, are dissing them verbally because of who they are in Christ. And we see that Peter's encouraging the people to respond in, in a way that's not natural. He says uh, in two one. therefore rid yourself of all malice and deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Otherwise, when you're being slandered, don't give it back. He says, don't repay evil for evil or insult with insult. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. So you can see that he doesn't want them being involved in slander battles. Stuff is really coming at them in a challenging, threatening way, and he wants their response to be kindness. And we we look at this and we say, well, there's a, a long ways between Bible times like this or the people that live when this letter was written in the first century and the way that we live life today. Nobody really persecutes Christians like that, do they? Well, think about that. Think about somebody maybe in your life that has dishonored you in some way. Maybe they've belittled you or maybe they're controlling or they're spiteful or they're always unfair and and they they don't give and take with you. Uh, Maybe they took advantage of you. Or maybe for some of us, it might even be a marriage and you know how an evening can unravel when things sort of get spiteful and the verbiage goes back and forth. Insults over time just seem to add up. Or maybe you're a middle schooler and you know how awkward that age can be and, and you know how insults can be traded and things can get out of hand there. I, there's a, a little girl in our church. She's six, I think sixth grade. She's had this best friend for her whole life. And all of a sudden in sixth grade, this friend I think is really struggling with some issues and she sort of turned on her and just everything is spiteful and jealousy. And she's just was talking to me like, how do I respond to that? Or maybe it's in your business environment and your work and there's somebody that's lied to you that's dishonest with the way they, they take credit for things that you have done. They failed to keep a promise. Or who of us don't know about the rhetoric that's out there in our society right now about the Christian faith or about people that come to church and there's all kinds of assumptions about our motivations and how we feel towards people in our society. And Peter is saying, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay it with a blessing. So where did Peter get that idea? I mean, this, this is crucial to what Jesus was all about, to what he taught, to bless those who curse you, to pray for your enemies. And what, what does that mean? to bless those who curse you. And doesn't that just encourage bad behavior? Aren't people just gonna walk all over us and take advantage of us because of that? Well, there's a great example of what it means to curse. So we'll kind of start with that. That literally means to seek or desire somebody else's unraveling or their destruction. 
So we can see this in the book of Psalms. It's a classic curse in case you need one. I'm kind of discouraging that. But if you did want to know what it was like, you could turn to Psalm 109. Listen to this. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he's tried, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. Now here's where the good stuff starts. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless, his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off, their names blotted out from the next generation. Has anybody ever done something to you and you thought it would be okay if something bad happened to them? You ever sort of dreamed or had fantasies about really terrible things happening that would just sort of expose them to everybody? Anybody ever do anything really unfair to you and you just like just wish they could be shamed in some way? I mean, you know how this feels. I know how this feels. That's cursing. To bless means to seek the well-being or growth of someone. We could turn to the book of Psalms again in 115. Wonderful blessing. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. Could you see yourself doing that to somebody who's treated you awfully? And just to repeat those words, may, may God cause you to, to have that disposition in your heart. Somebody that takes advantage of you, somebody that slanders you, somebody that wants your undoing, and that's the response. So the motivation, why, why would you want to take a shot at that? Well, it's about the cross. And then Peter goes back and back and back to the cross in his letter. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. And why did he do this? To bring you to God. That's why he suffered. I desire to show you what somebody showed me. That's my motivation. And for the sake that you could be brought to God. Peter writes, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness, which Peter means to live to be blessings to people. By his wounds, you've been healed. We are healed by the wounds of Jesus. And even though there are other people who may visit evil and wounding on us, we know ultimately we are healed by the wounds of Jesus. There is so much that has been and probably still is dark and sinful in our lives. And we know this. We know this about ourselves. But Jesus bore that for our freedom and healing and restoration. I'm not kind to you because you're kind to me. I'm kind to you because God is so kind to me. It's overflowing in my life. We are full. We are forgiven. We are chosen by God. I was radically wrong and now I am precious to him. Peter says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but guess what? Chosen by God, precious to God. That's my motivation. So what's, what's the fruit? What, 
what can God work out of this response? When it would appear on the surface that this is no advantage to me and things could actually get worse if I, I seem to reward bad behavior. What does this kind of weird behavior result in? And this is where Peter talks about. He says in 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Because here's what's going on. The person who visits evil on you or the people that are around the circumstance and see it, they're looking in. They're observing what's going on. And those who see the wrong done to us, maybe even those doing it, may eventually come to the point and say, okay, man, I've I just been giving you a hard time. I've been hateful. And, and I notice you just keep coming back with kindness and grace and blessing. What in the world is up with you? Right? That's, that's the reason. That's, that's the clue. That's the curiosity that is happening. Eventually, people may be curious about the goodness that they see. Because it's uncommon behavior, isn't it, in our society? It always has been uncommon behavior. Jesus said it would be uncommon behavior. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. What does our Father in heaven do? He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing any more than others? Don't even pagans do that. So your response in the face of awfulness and hostility if it's something that's outside the box of normal human behavior, and we know that now with the rhetoric and the politics and the way that people are dealing with each other, we know that blessing a situation where evil and cursing is bonded, that is outside the box in our society. People will begin to wonder what kind of framework we're living in. They want to ask about the life that we live and how we live it. Andrew Thornburg, so I think got his picture here. He, is a C, he was the CEO of the Ascendron Football Club. Now, I am familiar that this is Fort Worth, Texas. And maybe not in college football, but in football in general, like Texas is the center of the universe, isn't it, for football? But this isn't the kind of football you're thinking about. This is soccer, right? This is an Australian guy. After serving one day as the CEO of this Australian football club, he was forced to resign. See, somebody was Googling his name and they found out that he was an elder in a local church in Australia, a Bible-believing Orthodox church. And he came across a sermon on that website about an Orthodox view on marriage. And that kind of went viral. It got put out on the internet. And he was accused of being a hateful person. He was accused of being somebody who was prejudiced against certain kind of people. And even though he reaffirmed his love for all people, and he tried to talk about his record of being fair and kind and inclusive as a business leader, he eventually just resigned after 24 hours. The, the blowback was so harsh and immediate. Well, the result of that 
when people saw his kindness and his gentleness and his willingness just to step aside in the face of that, he was invited two days later to be on Australia's main morning show, their news show. And he, he got a chance to come and be interviewed. And this was sort of his closing statement in front of a national audience. He was cheerful and he was humble and he was gentle and he was respectful in the face of an incredible wave of malicious talk that came towards him. And this is what he said. He said, my faith is central to who I am. Since coming to faith in Jesus 20 years ago, I have seen a profound change in my life and I believe that God has made me a better husband, father, and friend. It has also helped me to become a better leader. And that's because at the center of my faith is the belief that you should create a community and that you should care for people because they are created by and loved by God and that every person has deep intrinsic value. You see, oftentimes what seems like a great public loss can be an opportunity for Jesus. He got to give a reason for the hope that he had and for him that was what was most important. Sometimes personal losses and even political losses turn out to be huge wins for the kingdom of God. And because Christ is Lord, we are people who can afford to lose because ultimately we know where the story's heading. We can bless somebody who hurts us and we get to thank Christ in that because he was hurt and he got to bless. We get to participate in the same way that Christ lived as he gave his life on the cross. And maybe somebody will ask why. That's why Peter talks about about our witness. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Look, you know, there's some, some opportunities we, we don't even have to say a word, right? That the rhetoric's so violent and deep and things are so tense that we just have our good deeds. We just have our loving responses. When inhumane things are happening, we get to push back with the humanity of Jesus. So the challenge is, well, maybe I, I don't even know how to do this. Maybe even in my own family, it's a very critical environment, a harsh environment. I don't, I don't even want to engage in that. Maybe in my workplace, I'm barely hanging on. I mean, I'm in there for the paycheck. I don't have a lot of options, and it's really, really difficult the way that people are treating each other. Or maybe, maybe even I'm in a marriage where it's just insult for insult, and if I stop that pattern and begin to bless, they'll think I'm a hypocrite. They'll wonder what's going on. What does that look like? Well, we go to Peter's school again to find out. And he, he basically gives us three strategies. One is to live the life of the cross, remember the cross. The second is to, to be very trusting in God's power. And the third is something that is just so countercultural. Peter asks his people to suffer. Just be willing to suffer. The cross means that I live for the benefit of others, that in my life, even when bad things are happening to me, somehow I stop and I think about the person before me and what their needs might be, what might be going on in their life, what is good for their growth at this time. 
the trust part is that maybe I take every instance to God and it's like, I don't actually know what to do in this situation. And so I ask God, what should I do? I pray about it. Maybe I need to be more creative. Maybe I need to take more time to know what kindness looks like in this situation in a way that doesn't appear self-righteous or putting off. Maybe I don't even need to respond now. Maybe I just give this to God, give it 24 hours. See what God will do if I give him 24 or 48 hours in this situation, what he might do in the heart and mind of that person. Or maybe what God might do in my heart and mind as I pray to him about it. And then just being willing to suffer that I move in the way I'm led to move. I might be confused. I try to be obedient, but I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't even know what tomorrow might bring. I know some of us can be in truly awful situations of abuse, hurtful, traumatic, traumatic things that maybe even change the course of our life. And I know that there are even some situations where evil is upon us that it requires a lot of wisdom and care and counsel on how to engage. And there's even some instances in abuse where we just need to withdraw. So I, I know that. And, and in those situations, we have to use wisdom. We have to say, seek advice. We have to pray. We have to try to move forward with forgiveness and not return evil. Let me give you an example of somebody that went into a situation. This is a, a guy from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he, had the, he was a truck driver, CDL licensed truck driver. And his mom became very, very ill and had to have dialysis every day. So he, he quit his job to move to this area. And he took a job as a bus driver. Well, he had his license and he gave him the flexibility to take his mom to treatment. But when he got on the bus, he realized driving these kids around to school that it was really a difficult environment. And so in this environment of hostility and bullying, he began to pray and think about how he could create a community of the cross. Talk about special delivery. Steve Hartman has been tracking a school bus driver in a class by himself. You can see why someone might hate being a school bus driver. The early hours, when the weather sours, the abundance of responsibility combined with the absence of eyes in the back of your head. Y'all have a good day! Nevertheless, Curtis Jenkins loves delivering these little ones to Lake Highlands Elementary in Dallas, Texas. Yes. Emily Grunninger is the principal. He goes way beyond the outline responsibilities and duties of a bus driver. I mean, that bus is like a family. These are my children. These are my community. I love them all. To establish community. What's your job, man? He starts by giving everyone responsibility. This is one of the police officers. It's an elaborate flowchart. She's an administrative assistant to She's the president. Administrative assistant to yeah, the president. She, yeah. Everyone working together to build a yellow bus utopia. Yeah. And we're gonna care about each other and we're gonna love everybody, right? Yeah. I put time, effort, love, care, understanding, understanding each and every one of those kids. Omar. To show his love and understanding. Hey, Chief! Curtis gives presents throughout the year. You say you like baseball. Each gift personally selected with that child in mind. Yay! He gave this girl a t-shirt. Her first book. With a picture from a book she made. I'm hoping this t-shirt inspire her to keep on writing books. Over the years, he has bought these kids bikes, backpacks, handed out cards on birthdays, and even turkeys at Thanksgiving. 
He has spent thousands out of his own pocket. And yet, if you ask the kids what they like most about Curtis, the gifts don't even come up. He really cares about us, is really kind, and he helps anyone in need. Ethan Engel is a fifth grader. It means a lot to you. Yeah. He says the bus ride is often the best part of his day. My mom got divorced when I was only four. I'll see you tomorrow. He's the father that I always wanted. In some ways, I just, I wish my dad could have been like that. We make the mistake sometimes of thinking certain jobs are more important than others. I know. But Curtis Jenkins made his job important. Bye -bye. And in doing so, even created his own salary. That's the paycheck right there. If I can get that, you can keep the money. <laughs> yeah, Curtis is a believer who gave that situation to God. So we're, we're passing out um, some little cards with a school bus on it. And this is, is sort of a take home for you. I think the school bus is a perfect metaphor. We've gone to school with Peter who learned everything he knew from Jesus. What does it mean to learn and grow and practice in a community that is moving even when things are difficult? And I want you to think about identifying a community right now where you've got a challenge. Maybe, uh, maybe it's at work and so maybe you take this little school bus and you put it in the corner of your desk or on your screen. Uh, maybe you write down one thought, one response that you're praying about or that God's led you. Um, why is if you come home tonight and this, your husband's put this on your refrigerator, you know what his community is, right? <laughs> maybe he's working on something or maybe you take this to school and I don't know where you put this. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's just driving the Fort Worth freeways in the morning where you're working on your response, you know? Amen to that. And so you, you may want to write a word, but just as a reminder, bless. It's going to be a blessing. I'm going to think about when things are difficult from other people, I'm going to try to think about what's going on with them. I'm going to think about them first. Will the person change? Will the community change as a result of you blessing them when they curse you? It might. I don't know. I do believe if you will do this, it will change you. You will be more kind. You will be a priest of the living God in the place that you are. So take this with you.